All right. In college, I spent a year serving as a student missionary in a South American country called Ecuador. And it was my first time living outside of the United States, being exposed, really immersed in a new culture like that. And while I was there, I saw how a song can affect romantic relationships. Saw that take place. Now, in the United States, single guys who are interested in a young lady, they can kind of get away with subtle expressions of interest in that young lady and still win her heart. Maybe it's a, a smile or, or a kind of a, a nice gesture, and she can, she can kind of know, oh, he's interested in me. In the United States, single guys can kind of get away with those subtle expressions of romantic interest. But in Ecuador, there's kind of this, exp- this expectation that if a guy is interested in a girl, he kind of has to work for it. And generally speaking, the guys in Ecuador knew how to work for it. (laughs) They knew how to woo a young lady and win her heart. And one of the ways that they would do this is um, if a guy was interested in in a particular young girl, he would express his romantic interest at times, on occasions, by serenading her. Usually he would take some of his friends to go with him and stand outside her window or, or go to find her in some public place. And there he would pour out this expression of his feelings of interest and and romantic love in a song to her. Now, my mission as a a student missionary down there did not involve singing to young ladies. Um, I, I didn't do that. But I saw this done. And when a girl was open to accepting her suitor's song, his serenade could have this winning influence over her heart. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into it. It takes a lot of guts to do something like this, and often the young lady would feel very special, and her heart would be touched, and she would be kind of flushed with emotion that someone would do such a a sweet, thoughtful thing as sing her a romantic song. So we, could, we, we were able to see that this, this, these songs could have like a winning influence over people, and, and it wasn't unheard of that happily married couples would often trace their first experiences back to the time when he sang to her. He sang to her. Well, as wonderful as this is for a man to express his undying love in a song for his beloved, this, of course, does not guarantee that the relationship is going to be lasting and that it's going to be happy I mean, often relationships start with romantic gestures and passionate feelings, careful attention to the wishes of the other person. But over time, these affirmations of love can fade away. And instead of being the foundation of a vibrant, loving relationship, the beginning of the relationship with all of its excitement and and kind gestures and nice words can be the high point of the relationship, and then after that, it only goes downhill. Sadly, this all-too-common pattern of an exciting relationship, romantic relationship, followed by a downward trajectory after that, after there's a commitment, perhaps after the wedding, this pattern, it doesn't just happen to romantic relationships. It can also happen to our relationship with God. When someone falls in love with Jesus and gets baptized, 
Perhaps you've seen that. You know what that looks like. You know what that feels like. Enthusiastic about sharing their love and their joy with Jesus, um, with others. They're excited. They're new converts. Sometimes, unfortunately, this happy experience doesn't last. Instead of their baptism being the foundation, the, this, this beautiful starting point of a growing relationship with Jesus, at times their baptism can actually be the high point of their relationship with Jesus. And then after that, it just kind of fades away into complacency and boredom, and then it just kind of dies out altogether. Today I'd like to look at an old t- a teaching from the Old Testament that offers a remedy to followers of Jesus who have lost their love who have kind of experienced that fade in their love for Jesus, who have experienced the, maybe the boredom, the complacency. Maybe they've just completely lost that experience of love with him. I'd like to, to look at this Old Testament teaching because it offers a remedy for followers of Jesus who have lost their first love. And it's also for those who have still not yet committed to Christ because they don't see a bright future in it. I mean, why do this if it's just going to fade away and turn bad, turn sour? God is not just interested in initially saving us. He wants to live with us happily ever after with him. That's his desire. The idea is that a relationship with him can grow and grow. And the Bible tells us how we can not only start a relationship with God, but how can we progressively grow more deeply in love with him. The title of the message this morning is God's Winning Love. Winning Love. And before we get into the teaching of the Bible, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you know our hearts tend to be hard. We tend to not want to listen. We tend to reject what is good. I pray, God, that you would prevail on our hearts, that you would win our hearts with your love once again. I pray that our hearts would be open to hearing the message that changes us, that gives us life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Zephaniah. And you go to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. If you'd like to use your pew Bible, it's page 945. The Old Testament prophet Zephaniah. Now the prophets of the Old Testament commonly described the relationship between God and his people in terms of a marriage. They would use this picture of a marriage to describe God and his people and how that relationship works. Like a man deeply in love with a woman and how he works to win her heart so that she will agree to marry him, we see God pursuing his people with an undying love, working to win their heart, our hearts. We see this throughout sacred history. Just one example, when when the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, God worked to win the hearts of his people like a knight in shining armor. He shows up in Egypt and, and just overthrows the country with plagues. And then as he takes his people out, he defeats and drowns the army, puts an end to the army in the Red Sea. Then he leads them to safety in the wilderness, and there he provides for them, extravagantly provides for them. Water, food, takes care of their health, makes sure that their clothes don't wear out. He provides for them. With God taking care of his people, his people had nothing to worry about. All they had to do was receive these incredible gestures of love lavished upon them by God. 
And all God asked in return was their full devotion to him. If you'll remember, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, God gave him the Ten Commandments. He comes back down with the Ten Commandments, and the very first command on those tablets of the Ten Commandments is what? No other gods. In other words, God was saying, don't have any other lovers. I want to be your one and only. I'm asking for a full commitment. I want to enter into a covenant relationship, just like a husband and wife enter into a covenant relationship for life. By this time, when they're at Mount Sinai, the hearts of Israel were thrilled to have a God like their God. I mean, this God could do anything. He could part the waters of the Red Sea. He could make bread appear on the desert floor. This God could do anything that they needed. He, they, their hearts thrilled to enter into a covenant relationship with him. They eagerly accepted. But soon after this, soon after this, just weeks after. They broke their covenant with God. They were unfaithful to him. They committed a spiritual affair with a golden calf, worshiping a golden calf. Sadly, this was not the only time that Israel, God's people, were unfaithful to him. The Bible record states that unfaithfulness to God was a regular pattern for his people. But despite Israel's infidelity, the prophet Zephaniah describes a beautiful future, a bright future for God and his people. Look at what it says in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. He will rejoice over you with singing. Now, this is a unique glimpse into God's experience with us. Oftentimes, when we read in the Bible, we read about, about people praising God, singing praises to him, and rightly so. God is good, like we sang about earlier. He, his love endures forever. He forgives. He defends. He protects. He provides. God is amazing. And he's consistently good. Even when things are bad, he's still good. So it's fully appropriate for us to sing praises to God. That that totally makes sense. But in Zephaniah 3.17, it says that God is so delighted in us, he's so happy with us, that he sings over us. It's as if he's serenading us from heaven. Now this positive picture of God and his people might seem a little out of place for the time of Zephaniah. Zephaniah was not a prophet called to affirm God's people for their outstanding qualities. That's not why God called Zephaniah, summoned him to this place of prophet. He didn't say, man, the people of Israel are doing so good, Zephaniah, you just go and give them some pats on the back. That's why I want you to, that's not why Zephaniah was called. Zephaniah was called to give a message of judgment It's because things were not going good with God and his people. Israel had rejected God. They were worshiping idols. They had acted corruptly. Yeah, corruptly. In a few years, Jerusalem would be captured, overthrown by the armies of Babylon. That would happen just shortly after the time of Zephaniah. And the best of Israel, like, like Daniel, the prophet Daniel, they would be carried off into captivity in Babylon. 
So God and his people during the time of Zephaniah were going through a rough time, to put it mildly, in their relationship. And at this moment, at this time where they have acted corruptly, they have been unfaithful to their commitment to God, at this time, God is sending them this picture, this message of him singing over them, rejoicing over them, being delighted in them. When we're going through a difficult time in life, it can be completely transformative for us to have a bright picture of the future. You're going through a difficult time. If you can have some kind of hope for the future, some kind of vision that things are going to get better, that it's going to be okay, that things are going to turn out all right, it can be completely transformative to your experience. As we mentioned earlier in the service, this weekend, we recognize our graduates at Rogue Valley Adventist Academy, our seniors, and and many others who are graduating at this time. And, And we're very proud, very proud of our young people. One of the reasons that we celebrate their graduation and celebrate uh, what's happened is because our young people, our graduates, have come a long ways. And that's why graduation is a big deal, because a lot of ground has been covered. There's been a lot of progress. They've come a long ways. And perhaps at times in the past in their experience, the graduates' experience, perhaps there were times where it was doubtful whether they would be graduating today, perhaps in their mind. Maybe they were, they just failed a test. Maybe they were struggling to um, understand a difficult concept in class, and they just didn't see how they were going to be able to grasp it and move forward. Maybe they got behind in their schoolwork, and they just couldn't imagine getting caught up so that they could come to this place where they would be graduating. And during those difficult times, had it not been for teachers, family members, friends, mentors, loved ones, who came near that young person, came near that student when they were in that difficult time, questioning if they were going to be able to even make it, even to get past that class or get past that test and make it to graduation, had it not been for people in their life who came near them and helped them believe that it was possible for them to continue on, possible for them to get it, had they not given them this bright picture of a future of them graduating and going off to be successful in life, Maybe their experience would have been very different. Perhaps they would never even be at this place where they're graduating today had it not been for someone to come and bring them a bright picture of the future, to say, I believe in you. You're going to be able to do this. Even though God's people have been unfaithful, he still sees a bright future for us, a bright future for his people. Now, some people might question How do you know that this isn't just wishful thinking, that that at some point God is going to be singing over his people and everything's going to be wonderful? How do you know, Pastor Brian, that that God is not just throwing something out there and it's wishful thinking? Well, Zephaniah 3.17 tells us how we can know that it is not just wishful thinking, that there's going to be a bright future for God and his people, and that includes you and I. We can have this wonderful future of a growing, loving relationship. It tells us in verse 17, let me put it up there, Here it is. The Lord your God. Whose God is he? He's your God. The Lord your God. And where is he? He is with you. He is the mighty warrior who saves. If you are wondering whether you can have an amazing spiritual experience with God that only gets better and better, the answer is right here. Yes, you can. 
Now, it's not because you were especially spiritual or, or especially disciplined or any, anything like that. It's not because of who you are. It's because of who God is. He's with you. He is your God, and he is the mighty warrior who saves. Notice that there's no uncertainty here in this statement. There's no uncertainty about what God is able to do. Like a mighty warrior who cannot be prevented from his mission, God is mighty to save you and to save me. He cannot be prevented. He will accomplish this. We can say no, but everything else he can take care of. So when we have done wrong, or perhaps we're in the act of sinning, we're in the act of, of thinking about it, we're in the act of doing it. The Bible is telling us that God is not far away in some place in the universe. He's not repulsed by our sin to the point where he can't be around us. Zephaniah 3.17 tells us where God is in the lives of his unfaithful people. This is not at a high point. He is with us in our experience in life, even in our infidelity. Although God is no one to be messed with, we don't have to fear his closeness, his proximity, the proximity of his presence, because of what God specializes in doing. God specializes in saving us. It's when we are unfaithful that God says, this is what I know how to deal with especially. I can take care of this. I can clean this up. I can save you from your infidelity. I can save you from your sin. Knowing that a God like this is with us, this mighty warrior who saves, this is what he does. Knowing that a God like this is with us, this says something of our value. It speaks to our personal value. A few years after the 2001 terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center, I had the chance to visit the Capitol building, Washington, D.C. And during this time, the fear of a terrorist attack was very real, especially on a, a national symbol like the, the United States, the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. But despite this reality that chances are terrorists were currently planning another attack on something like, like the Capitol building, the, the possibility of that at least, at least we were, we were fearful of that, in spite of those fears, as we visited the Capitol building at this time, we felt very secure because all around the grounds there of the Capitol building, there was a type of security guard that I'd never seen before. These security guards, I don't know where they got them. They were probably special forces, hulking individuals, incredible specimens of strength. And these security guards had helmets, they had body armor, they had every type of sophisticated weapon imaginable. I mean, everywhere you could place a weapon, they had weapons on them. And it seemed as if each security guard was prepared to single-handedly face and deal with and repel a terrorist attack. All they needed was one. Now, the reason these guards were so heavily armed, so well-trained, is this. They were protecting something of great value. The Capitol building, great value. 
This is something that as United, United States citizens, we look to. This is, this is who we are. It's a special place. This place has great value, and so they were protected. Now, if it did not have value, if it was not worth fighting for, those guards would not have been there. God, the mighty warrior, he is with us for a reason. It's because he sees that you and I have great value. And that you and I are worth fighting for. Mighty warriors don't just fight for nothing. They fight for a cause. And God is like a mighty warrior. His cause is you. You heard it in the children's story. You are his gift. He is fighting for you. He sees that you are worth fighting for and that you have great value. Otherwise, he would not be here with you. Zephaniah tells us what happens when God is with us. A few verses earlier, this is the this is same chapter, chapter 3, verse 15. It says that the Lord has taken away your punishment. Notice who does it. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is where? He's with you. Never again will you fear any harm. Notice who's doing the work here. Who does the work in saving? It's God who defends. It's God who forgives. It's God who makes his people right. And if God is with us, there's going to be a bright future. It's going to happen. Now I realize that some may question if God is really with them. Perhaps you've questioned that. How do I know, Pastor Brian, if God is really with me? Well, if you're ashamed of the choices that you have made in the past, then chances are it's going to be pretty hard to picture God delighting in you, God rejoicing over you. If there's shame that's there, if you, if you think back to things that you've done and you're just like, I hope no one ever finds out about this, chances are it's hard to imagine God being with you. But this is what the gospel story is all about. It's all about God being with his people. I mean, we see this from the very beginning. Adam and Eve, they sin, and in their shame, they run off, they hide. What does God do? He pursues, and he is with them to save them. All throughout history, we see God doing this, but I think the best example is Jesus coming to this earth. Jesus, God in heaven, seeing the predicament of the human race, that we are caught in sin, slaves to sin. We're hopeless. He plunges himself into the darkness of this world. He sees that we're worth fighting for and comes to us as a baby. I mean, Jesus coming to this earth as a baby shows that God doesn't just love us, he actually likes us. It's over the top what God would be willing to do for us. He wants to be with us. But he doesn't just send Jesus to come and be close to us, to kind of experiment, experience how things are here on this earth and, and, and kind of get close. It's not just Jesus coming close. God sends Jesus to this earth to be one with us. This language that we're reading about in Zephaniah of God being with us, this is marriage language. And we see this in the life of Jesus, how he becomes one with us. Hebrews 2.17 tells us to what extent God came close to us in the person of Jesus. It says that Jesus became fully human in every way. In other words, there was was no way in which Jesus could have come closer. 
He became fully human in every way. He became one with us. So what this means is that Jesus is not only able to understand what you're going through, worries, concerns, things that you face in life. He's not a, he, he gets it, but it's not just that. He is also able to save you in every way. The power of God joined to humanity results in salvation. And he has joined you and I in every way. He's able to save. The choices that we make that damage our relationship with God, damage our relationship with others, this is what Jesus specializes in saving us from. He is specially equipped to do that because he became fully human in every way. Thank God that he is with us. Thank God that he is not far away and waiting for us to figure things out. Where would we be? I mean, we are constantly being, if you're anything like me, constantly being bombarded by temptations. Temptations that I want to give into. Temptations that are, that are deceptive and that I will give into left to my own devices. But if we believe that God is really with us, to save us, then those temptations lose their power over us. In my spiritual journey, I've experienced the power of believing that God is with me. When I'm tempted, and I know that God is right here, right with me, perhaps like a friend with his arm around me, when I, when I can see him, when I can turn my attention to God being right with me when I'm tempted— it's a completely different experience. I mean, no matter how many times I may have given in to that temptation in the past, I can overcome that temptation if I go to God and saying, I am absolutely going to fail unless you save me. If I go to God and I say, look, there's nothing good in me. There's no amount of Bible verses that I can recite, no amount of prayers that I can pray. I'm going to fail unless you save me. When I do that, when I have done that, every time, I have recognized that God is with me to save me. The temptation has lost its power, and somehow I find myself free from it. It's true. God is mighty to save. It's not just a nice thing that we say. God is mighty to save, and he's able to save us from that which damages our relationships with others and with him. He can do it. He can do it if we look to him. This world is constantly reminding us that things are getting worse and worse, right? I mean, I don't think I have to go into it, but whether it's inflation or, or drought or war or another mass shooting, we're constantly getting reminders that things are getting worse and worse. But no matter how bad things get, if God is with us to save us, then we can be confident that a relationship with him that will only get better and better is possible. God with us ensures us that our relationship with him can get better and better no matter what the circumstances are around us, no matter what's happening in this world. Uh, somehow it stopped. If I could get the next slide, please. Couples on their wedding day are often flush with feelings of love. Have you seen them before? flush with feelings of love. You could, it's palpable, the emotion and the attraction and the excitement. And there's a reason for that, right? When couples have these strong feelings of love for each other on their wedding day, it's because there's a lot of effort that has gone into it. He's worked hard to win her heart. She's responded well and welcomed his advances. 
They've gone on dates. They've laughed together. They've shared their feelings for each other. They've stared into each other's eyes for hours. They've overlooked or perhaps were blind to the other's defects. They've poured love into the relationship, and they're hopeful it's going to grow. That's why they're getting married. Hopefully it's going to be a bright future. Unfortunately, too many relationships just don't last. We're all too aware of that. And one of the outstanding reasons for this, in spite of this strong beginning that many relationships can have, one of the outstanding reasons that they don't last is because after marriage, the couple stops pouring love into the relationship. They kind of just assume, well, everything is fine. And the things that they did that brought them to that point, they, they kind of stopped doing those, kind of stopped showing those, those caring gestures, those acts of service or gifts or kind words or whatever your love language might be. They kind of stopped doing those things. In other words, they stopped dating each other. And so the relationship suffers. Thankfully, God does not treat us like this. After we are baptized, God does not stop pursuing us. He doesn't stop pouring love into our lives. Zephaniah 3.17 is not talking about how God wins people's hearts and, and woos them initially to him. It's not talking about the beginning of the relationship. It's talking about how God treats people who are already saved, who are already committed to him. God doesn't just serenade people to win their hearts initially. When it says he delights in us and he rejoices over us with singing, it's talking about his relationship with people who are already committed to him. This is what, this is what the future looks like. A God who continues to lavish his love over us more and more. And this is why a relationship with God can get better and better. It's because God's winning love never ends. And for the rest of eternity, God will sing over his people. It's hard to even wrap our minds around that. If God treats us like this, then why not take time to listen to him now? If God is singing over his people, why not take time to hear that song? How different our perspective in life might be if we believed that God actually delights in us. Apart from what we've done, he delights in us. How different would our worries be when, when you feel fearful or when you feel angry or, or discontent or hopeless if you were to know and believe that God is currently singing over you in that moment, how different might your experience be? God is so overwhelmed with love for us that he sings over us. He serenades us. So often, the time spent with God in prayer or in Bible study can be rushed. If you're a Christian, perhaps you can relate to this. Oftentimes, we're in such a rush. We have so many things going on, and the time spent with him is just quick, and, and you move on. But a relationship doesn't grow with rushed interactions. That's not how people fall in love. Oh, hey, are you doing quick? Hey, you got to go. That's not how people grow in a loving relationship. A relationship grows by cherishing the other person, by savoring the moment, by taking the time and holding on to that. 
If it's not your practice to do so, I'd like to encourage you to spend time cherishing God's love for you. Spend the time cherishing God's love for you. Spend time with the Bible. And as you're reading along and a phrase or a thought stands out to you, and, and, you, and you sense that God is perhaps speaking to you. You're, you're thinking, wow, this, this is really unique. And hold on to that. This is God speaking to you. Cherish that. Take time to dwell upon that thought. Instead of rushing on, closing your Bible and rushing on to do the next thing. Take time to hear God's message of love speaking to your heart. And imagine what is actually happening in heaven. He's singing over you. As you read the words of Scripture, imagine God singing those words to you. Not because he has to, but because he's so overwhelmed with love and affection and delight in you. Imagine him singing. The reality is God is singing right now over his people. He's singing over us. And if we're willing to stop and listen to him, our hearts will be won over and we cannot help in this place, listening to the, to the God of the universe singing over us, welcoming that, cherishing that song, we cannot help but live happily ever after with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, your intent for us, a relationship with us is far better than we could ever imagine. And I pray, God, for the humility and the good sense, the openness and the courage to allow you to lead out in a loving relationship with us. Open our ears to hear your song that we may grow in a loving relationship with you for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.